Hey there, I'm Joey Dean, lead pastor of South Lakes Church in Oklahoma City. At South Lakes Church, we exist to be radically devoted to God, relentlessly committed to true community, and remarkably passionate for the lost. We hope your faith is strengthened and you grow closer to Jesus as you listen this morning. Now let's jump into this week's message. All right, good morning, church. It's good to see everyone this morning. Hey, okay, I'm gonna ask you a question, and I want you to feign excitement, even if you're not excited, all right? Who's ready to learn Hebrew words today? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's Today, I'm teaching you Hebrew, all right? So, uh, and that's actually really not a joke. I'm so sorry. So, I, I'll, I'll pray, and if you want to sneak out the back during that time, that's cool. But, um, no, stay seated, all right? Um, here's the thing. I'm glad you're here this morning. We are continuing our journey as we walk through the Bible, and we are wrapping up Leviticus today. Basically, here's our journey that we're going on in 2022. The elders have set aside saying, we want everyone to grow in their love and devotion for the Lord, um, at least by one level. What's a level? Listen, I don't know. I just want you to love Jesus more, all right? And the way, only place that I know how to start to love Jesus more is when we dive into God's Word together. And so that's what we're doing. We're going to dive into God's Word together. And yesterday, we celebrated 50 days of reading God's Word. Can I hear a whoop whoop? Yeah, see? And here's the thing. Whether you've been awesome and you've hit all 50 days or you've been sporadic and you still made it to day 50, and I'm proud of you. And I want to encourage you to continue to press into God's Word. All right, if you miss a day, don't get down on yourself. Pick it back up and let's go, all right? We're reading God's Word together, and we're all asking the Lord, Lord, would you teach us truths about yourself? And so last week, what we did is we talked about the beginning of Leviticus, and we talked about how Leviticus really points to something so much bigger than just you got to kill this goat, or you got to kill this lamb, or you got to offer this money, or you got to do this, or you got to do that. Leviticus points to Jesus, and Leviticus points to how, how wretched our sin is and just how holy God is. And so the the whole point of Leviticus is this. How does an unholy people become, I mean, an unclean people become clean enough to be in the presence of a holy God? And the answer is really, there's nothing you can do outside of Jesus. We can do temporary band-aids to make it look like we're not oozing from the shin, all right? But the reality is that we've got a compound fracture underneath the band-aid and the, 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 the blood of goats and bulls and, and lambs, it's not going to fix the problem. We need Jesus. And that's the point of Leviticus. It points to something bigger. And today, we're going to continue that. Last, year, last week, I, I shared how in Hebrews, it talks about how the law is like a shadow. It points to something that is, it's not the big picture of everything. It, show, it shows a glimpse of something that's eternal, something that's greater. And so what I'm going to do today is that we are going to walk through some feasts or some festivals. So pull out your Bibles, if you will, and I want you to turn to the book of Leviticus this morning, Leviticus chapter 23. Um, if you don't have your Bible or whatever, that's okay. Use the app, all right? The app, remember, is a resource that we've provided for you guys to be able, yes, go to the Bible Connect section, and then there it is, the Bible reading plan, the Bible, it's all right there. In fact, if you go today, you'll see that we added on a um, language study uh, site that you can go if you're like, interested in what's this word really mean you can type it in and it's anyway it's all right there all right but grab your notes all right uh, whether on the app or whether in person if you're joining us online man join along with us all right and so here's what we're doing is that this week we're going to be talking about 
feast, and we're going to be talking about festivals, and we're going to talk about how the feasts and the festivals were set up to remind the Israelites this is who God is, and this is what it's done, what he's done. It's also meant to teach the next upcoming generation that this is what God has done, and to remind them about who he is, but it also looks forward. It looks forward to something greater than just a time of remembrance. We do this uh, all the time. We, we, uh, we do this um, in Oklahoma. Uh, if you've been at South Lake Church any amount of time, especially during Christmas season, I share every year now, Advent or Christmas, the, the, the celebration of the first coming of Christ. It's not just about looking at a baby in a manger. It's about looking forward to a king coming back. That's, that's what Advent is. So if we spend all of our time just teaching our children during Christmas time, oh, look at the cute little baby in the manger, then they, we've missed the point as parents. We've missed the point of saying, yeah, look at the baby, but look who he's coming back as. That's the point of festivals. The festivals look back, but also to give us context so that we can look forward. And so today we're going to look backwards and we're going to look at these feasts or these festivals. I'm going to teach you, I am going to teach you some Hebrew words today. Now, full disclosure, in seminary, they tell you that you're either really good at one language and you're not very good at another. I was, I was really good at Greek, all right? And then I took Hebrew and it took me behind the woodshed, all right? So everything that I'm going to pronounce for you today, full disclosure, last night, 1030, my wife crawls in the bed after taking a shower and, and she's hearing me hit play and it, this random voice of this lady is speaking these words. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm reminding myself what these Hebrew words sound like. All right. So if you go Google, did pastor say it right? No, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to say it right. And that's okay. I, I don't care. Find a church where he can speak it right. All right. But I can't. All right. If it was Greek, maybe it'd be a different story, but this is honest. Okay. And so today I want to teach you some words and I want to talk about how these feasts are so much more than just a remembrance, okay? So in order to do that, I need to define for you when the Bible lays out the word feast in Leviticus chapter 23, what does that mean? Because in our 2022 context, when I say feast, many of us are probably gonna think, oh, Thanksgiving at grandma's house, right? Like turkey and gravy and potatoes and, and grandma's mac and cheese. Can I, can I get an amen? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I'm saying. It, it's, it's where you have to undo the belt a couple notches because you have literally committed the sin of gluttony. You know, that's what we think of when we think of feast. Well, feast is a little bit more than just grandma's house at Thanksgiving. So the word for feast, this is not in, in your, your notes. So if you want to jot this down, this is free. All right. You're, you're not paying for this today. Okay. So, um, the word for feast is the Hebrew word moed. So let's all say moed together. One, two, three, moed, okay? So moed, just in its basic, simple definition, it literally means feast or it also means appointed time. Appointed time. So a very specific moment in time. Well, the word moed comes from a very important root word in Hebrew called ya'ad. So let's all say ya'ad together. One, two, three, ya'ad, okay? So this word ya'ad um, is used to describe, like, to talk about time. Not just any specific time, but more like eternal time. So for example, in Isaiah chapter 9, when we get the prophecy about the coming Messiah, he talks about, you know, he'll be wonderful counselor, everlasting father. Well, that word everlasting is ya'ad. It's the everlasting. It's the eternal aspect of things. Now, wait, I'm not done. Because the root word of ya'ad, which is a very important root word to the word moed, which is where we get feast, is the word 
odd. So let's all say odd together. One, two, three. Odd. So odd is the word where we get um, the word in English for witness. So like a witness is like this. It's like when you go to the court of law and, um, and you have a witness up on the stand, the whole purpose of that witness being there is to try to paint a picture of what happened, even though the jury wasn't present or really probably anyone in that courtroom was present. So what attorney attorney's going to do is ask questions so that that witness will be able to paint, this is what happened. I'm going to share from my point of view, I'm going to testify to something that none of you know about, but I'm going to explain it to you. So when you take all of these words, when you take moad and when you take um, yeah, odd and when you take odd and you put them all together, this is the Joey definition for what does it mean when God is talking about feasts in Leviticus chapter 23? So here it is. This is the beginning of your notes. A feast is an, an appointed time which testifies and points to something that is everlasting. Now that means a whole lot more than just let's go to grandma's house and gorge yourself. This is what God is speaking of when he's talking about, here are the festivals and the feasts that I want you to do. This is an appointed time in your, in your year where you are, it's going to testify. It's going to share about something that has everlasting eternal value. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And in order for it to have everlasting value, then we just can't look at it from a back standpoint, like looking backwards. We have to look at it going forwards as well. So that's why I got to teach you some Hebrew today. And that's why today, I want you to look at today, maybe not so much as a sermon, as you're going to get a crash course in some Hebrewism today, all right? But if you stick with me to the end, I promise you there's a payoff at the end because I believe today could be a game changer for many of us because of what we're going to share today. So why don't we pray? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Even online, if you join us with this, would you pray these two prayers in your heart? Number one, would you say, God, help me to be present in this moment? And then secondly, would you pray, God, will you speak to me personally this morning? And Father, we just humbly submit ourselves to the throne room of grace this morning. And we pray that as we look at these timeless observances that help to point to something that's so much bigger than we could ever wrap our minds around, I pray that you would challenge us in our own faith. And that you would help us to see that the God that we serve, the God that many of us in this room we've given our lives to, has eternal ramifications. And I pray that you would speak truth into our lives this morning. I pray that you would speak into brokenness. I pray that you would speak into anxiety this morning. I pray that you would speak into joy and celebration. I pray that you would speak into apathy and laziness. I pray that you would speak into all the things that many people struggle with in this room and not always the same thing. It's a roller coaster of a life we live, Father. So speak to us in a powerful way. And it's the mighty name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said, amen. So here we go. Let's start reading Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to begin. We're going to read a little bit. We're going to stop. We're going to read a little bit. We're going to stop. Okay. Beginning in verse three. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. 
It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So this one, we understand this is Sabbath, or in Hebrew, it's the word Shabbat. So let's all say Shabbat on the count of three. One, two, three. Shabbat. All right. So Shabbat is simply Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is very interesting and unique from everything else we're going to read because Shabbat is a weekly occurrence. It happens every week. All right. And so we are supposed, we are commanded to Shabbat. We are commanded to rest. We are told to rest. In fact, God tells us in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, he said, he speaks to the prophet Ezekiel. He says, moreover, I gave them, who is them? The Israelites. I gave them my Shabbats as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctified them. And so the Shabbats are given to mankind in order to show that he is God. So when we pause every week, it reminds us, oh yeah, God created everything. He did it in six days and we rest, he rested on the seventh. Um, long story short, and this is me preaching to myself, if God can create everything from nothing in six days, then I can definitely rest as well. All right, that's just long story short because I feel like I never take a Shabbat. All right, it's one of my greatest weaknesses, quite honestly. But when we pause, we remember, wait a second, I trust God. In fact, when we Shabbat, it's the same thing like when we tithe. Like I encourage everyone in this room, you should tithe and you go, I don't have enough money to tithe. That's okay. You tithe and you trust that God can take the 90% and go farther with the 90 than if you kept 100 That's how Shabbat works. Shabbat is I'm going to trust God to be able to take a day off that he, I can get more accomplished in six days than if I worked all seven, okay? And it's very unique to us as people. See, when God created all things, there are many things that are very obvious to both animals and humans alike. For example, um, animals know that there's a night and there's a day. Like, I, I mean, we see that. Sun's up, sun's down. Time to sleep, time, time to go to work. Animals and humans know alike. We, we live in... Uh, there's different seasons in Oklahoma. There's 14 different seasons that we live in, right? And so right now we are in the middle of uh, spring 14 and winter 16 is coming up on, in, on Wednesday, okay? We know that. But we understand that animals know this as well because, for example, um, birds fly south for the winter, right? Animals get heavier coats, more fur in the winter. Like they it's just, they know it. But yet it's only human beings that know what day of the week it is. If you were to go up to your golden labradoodle and say, hey, when do you Shabbat? It would just look at you and go, what are you talking about? Now, unless you talk to a cat, then the cat would say, well, I Shabbat every day. So, because we all know that those are the spawn of Satan. So, um, but that's, and they don't know when Shabbat is because they don't keep track of the day. They don't know what, that it's the seventh day humans do. In fact, Jesus tells us that the Sabbath was created for our benefit in Mark chapter 2. If you go dive deeper in Hebrews chapter 4, we see that Shabbat actually serves as a witness to the fact that Jesus has brought us eternal rest because of what he's done on the cross. So Leviticus is all about doing, 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 so that we can be from go from unclean to clean, so we can be in the presence of a holy God. Jesus says, you don't have to do, 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 because I've already made you holy. I've, I've cleansed you. You can't get any more clean if you're forgiven. You can experience rest. So really what Shabbat does is it's a shadow that points to something greater. Shabbat actually testifies that this is what Jesus did when he paid for our sin. He gave us the ability to Shabbat, to rest. 
But that's, that's a weekly feast. That's a, that's a weekly celebration. Let's talk about some yearly ones. So they're broken into two categories. There's a spring festival season, and then there's a fall festival season. So let's start tackling the spring first. Look in verse 4. It says, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. So the first spring feast is what we know as Passover. Or in Hebrew, it's called Pesach. Pesach. Let's all say Pesach on the count of three. One, two, three. Pesach. So in my notes, to remind myself, I literally put pay and then the word sock. All right? So Pesach. That's, that's the Hebrew word for Passover. Now, the thing about Passover is that it always falls on a different day of the week each year. Okay? It's no different than our Easter. This is why Easter sometimes falls in March and sometimes it falls in April. Okay? So let's talk about some history here. In Exodus chapter 12, this is what God does. He instructs the Israelites that they are to start their calendar at the first of the month, which is known as Nisan. And this is what they're supposed to do. It's going to be up on the screen, Exodus chapter 12. It says, this month, meaning the month of Nisan, shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And then we skip ahead to verse five. And it says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. And then verse 13 says this, the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So very familiar, especially if, you're, uh, if you've watched the Charlton Heston Ten Commandments movie, right? And so the 10th plague is coming. We've read about this if you've walked through the Bible with us so far, and we know that Passover, right? And so when you put the blood over the doorpost, the death angel will pass over uh, the door and because the death angel was sent to kill all firstborns all throughout Egypt, and the blood served as a, oh, I don't enter into that house. And that began the beginning of the, of the year for them. And so this is the easiest feast to see Jesus in, right? Like, like you don't have to work really hard. You don't have to do like gymnastics in order to understand that, okay, Jesus, he was an innocent lamb, just like this one. He was without flaw, just like this one. Oh, he was sacrificed on someone else's behalf. Oh yes, his blood is smeared over the doorpost of the hearts of people so that we can be saved from death. Like we see this. In fact, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul tells the church in Corinth, it's gonna be the second half of the sentence. It says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been crucified. So Paul just spells it out and says, listen, I'm going to tell you really easy here in church in Corinth. Jesus is the Passover lamb. So Passover points to Jesus as being the sacrifice that atones for the sin that is put over the doorpost of our hearts so that death will pass over us, okay? So it doesn't start stop there though. Look in verse six. It says on the 15th day of the same month. So we're still in the month of Nisan. Passover happens on the 14th, okay? On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. This lends us to our second festival, which it says in the text, it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In Hebrew, it's Chag Hamatsu. Let's all say that together. Chag Hamatsu, one, two, three. Chag Hamatsu. It gets a little harder. If you go Google that, it's not really how it sounds, but that's how Joey's doing it, okay? So here's the thing. This 
festival, this, this remembrance is always going to occur the day after the night of Passover, okay? It's going to last for seven days. And what you're going to do for those seven days is you're going to remove all leaven from your house. And the reason you're going to do it is you're going to remember that when Egypt woke up and all of their babies were dead, right? All of their firstborn were dead. They told Israel, get out. And they did not have time for their bread to rise. So they left. And so they're told for a whole week, all Jewish people remove all leaven to remind themselves of how the haste at which the Israelites left from captivity. Well, there's two different pictures that this points to, okay? One has to do with us and one has to do with Jesus. The first one is this. This is a picture of you and I, those who have placed their faith in Jesus and our life as it is on earth. Why? Because leaven is symbolic of sin. When you get to the New Testament, you're going to see that leaven and sin, they're like synonymous with each other, okay? In fact, let's go back to our 1 Corinthians 5 passage where I showed you that Christ is our Passover lamb. Look at the first part. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. If you go read the rest of 1 Corinthians 5, you're going to see that we have been free from sin. Hebrews 12, I'm going to put it this way, that Christ has freed us from the shackles of sin, which so easily ensnares or entangles us. Okay? And so we've been set free from that. I've shared many times from this stage that a Christian can do something that non-Christians can't. We can say no to sin. But it's not because we're special. It's because Christ empowers us to be able to say no. Right? And so we are free from sin. And so the unleaven of, 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 of the week of, the, of Shag Hamatso is this, is that it's a reminder of, oh, wait, I as a Christian should have a life that's free of sin. Now, are we good at this? No, not at all, right? Are we gonna trip up? Absolutely. You've probably tripped up. Let's see, what is today? It is 11.14. You've probably messed up already today, right? Guarantee it. Now, all of us have. I get that. But it points to that. But it also points to something even greater than that. Because when you look at the unleavened bread, the matzo bread, matzo bread is striped and it's pierced just as Jesus was striped and pierced. And it has no trace of leaven, which we know leaven is synonymous with sin. So Jesus had no trace of sin in him. So let me show you a picture of matzo bread real quick. Matzo bread looks like this. You see the stripes, right? You see the piercings there. Like it's, it's a representation of what Jesus's body went through as an unleavened and unsinful body that suffered. And so we see this. And so we see that Shag Hamatsu points to Jesus as our Passover lamb. We go on. Let's look in verse 9. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So this is known as the Feast of First Fruits, or in Hebrew, it's called Yom Habakurim. Yom Habakurim. Let's all say that on the count of three. One, two, three. Yom Habakurim. All right. Now, is that the right way to say it? No, Google it. Okay. So, but you get the idea. So here's what would happen is that the priest would wave a sheaf or a bundle of the newest harvest 
as, a, 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 as an offering, as a symbolic gesture to the Lord dedicating that, that harvest to him. So I got a sheaf here. This is like, what exactly does a sheaf look like? It's literally a bundle and he's waving it. That's a sheaf, okay? And so only after the priest offered up this wave offering could the crop actually be used. So this is always celebrated on the first Sunday after Passover. Now, this is very unique in the sense that Yom Habakkurim actually fixes the exact day of the week that this is supposed to take place on. And so what does this do? It points us to something that is the biggest day in a Christian's life. It points us to the resurrection. It points us to Resurrection Sunday. It stood as a prophetic witness to the Jews of the day when Jesus would walk out of the grave claiming victory, being the first fruits of defeating death. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and he walked out on the first day of the week, which we now know as Sunday. And he walked out on Sunday, or he walked out on Yom Habakkurim, on the Feast of First Fruits. See, they're all linked. Passover. Feast of Unleavened Bread the next day. A few days later, Yom Habakkurim. It all points to Jesus. It doesn't end there, though. Let's look in verse uh, 15. It says, You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. So what's the Sabbath? It's the Sabbath of what we just talked about, the, uh, the Feast of first fruits. And from that day, you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh, seventh Sabbath, and then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. So this is known by two different names. It's called Feast of Weeks, or in the New Testament, we know it as Pentecost. So this is the Hebrew word of Shavuot. Shavuot. Let's all say that together. One, two, three. Shavuot. Okay. So this happens exactly seven weeks after the Feast of First Fruits. Penta literally it means 50, right? And the reason that God gave this, this, this feast is that it serves as a reminder of when God gave the law to Israel. It was exactly seven weeks after the exodus that all of the children of Israel gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai and the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai and he declared for the first time a foundation of what moral, the moral conduct that would be required of his people, a.k.a. the Ten Commandments. Fifty days after leaving captivity. Well, this is also when God poured out the Holy Spirit on believers 50 days after victory, 50 days. And this is when he gives power to his people in order for us to live a new life that's free of the shackles of sin, not because of our own power, because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, here's the thing. This is the spring festivals. 
And if you go study this, all the spring festivals, you're going to see that all the spring festivals are linked together. However, however, the basis and the foundation for all spring festivals, folks, is the blood of the lamb. It's the, door, it's, it's, it's the Passover. It's Pesach. That is the foundation for all other spring festivals. Unleavened bread follows Passover. First fruits follows on the next Sunday. Pentecost happens seven weeks later. It literally all hinges on the night of the blood on the door frames. Now, what does this point to? Now, this is just a freebie, all right? But it points to this. If you... The most important thing that we do is not going to church. It's not putting a 20 in the plate. It's not serving in SL kids. It's what you do with Jesus. That's the most important thing. You get Jesus right, and then everything else follows. Otherwise, you're just eating crummy bread that's not risen, right? You, you just get stale bread. Like you, do with, you work with Jesus first, and then everything else follows. And so what happens is that after Pentecost, there's a gap, and it goes all the way to the seventh month of the year, and we pick up in the spring, or I mean, I'm sorry, in the fall. So let's look in uh, verse 23, and it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with the blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. And you shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. So this is the first festival in the fall, and it's called the Feast of Trumpets, or it's called in Hebrew, Yom Terah. Let's all say Yom Terah on count of three. One, two, three. Yom Terah, all right? Or you probably know it more like this. It's also known as Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Terah are the same thing. And so literally the word Torah means a loud noise. Now we translate that as a trumpet blast. It could also be like a war cry or a shout of joy. But the point is this, Yom Torah is a day of rest that's accompanied by trumpet blasts and sacrifices. So here's what Yom Torah points to. Remember, everything's a shadow. It points to something bigger. It points to the second coming of Christ. It points to the second coming of Christ. Now, here's the thing. We really are not sure when this will happen exactly, right? But we do know that it will be preceded by a trumpet blast. So let, me, let me show you a couple things. Let me give you one by Jesus, then I'll give you one by Paul. Uh, Matthew 24 says this, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Have you ever wondered why the, all the earth will mourn? Because out of almost, what, 8 billion people on planet earth, Christians are in the minority. And when Jesus comes in all his glory, people will go, oh, snap. Oh, man. You know what the next thing that happens after they see Jesus? Philippians 2 tells us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, listen, I got young kids, and I'm only 40. I'm a man, I'm 40, right? So, all that. But here's the thing I don't really want to, uh, to, to, to leave my kids, right, in death. But I'll tell you what, if I'm around when the trumpets blow, sign me up for that one, because what a sight. 
First Thessalonians 4.16, it's a common one that I preach at most grave sites at funerals. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Now, here's the thing that we have to understand. Jesus has opened the door of redemption for mankind, but God has yet to redeem all things to himself as he's promised. God's going to right all wrongs. That day will come at the trumpet blast when Jesus comes back in victory. So we see here that Rosh Hashanah, Yom Terah, or the Feast of Trumpets, it points us to the second coming of Christ, which leads us to the next one, which is the the biggest day in Jewish uh, calendar year. Look in verse 26. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of this seventh month, so we're in the same month as the Feast of Trumpets, is the day of atonement. And it shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord, and you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. By the way, if you want to know the, the, uh, what what's destroy means, it means he kills you, all right? It means you're dead. Just, I just so we can make sure everyone knows what God's talking about here. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. By the way, that word forever, it means forever. Thrown out there, we'll talk about that here in a second. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves on the ninth day of the ninth month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening shall you keep your Sabbath. So this is probably the most popular Jewish word that you know that you don't really know that you were outside of Rosh Hashanah, all right? This is the Day of Atonement, or as we know it, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur. Let's all say Yom Kippur on three, one, two, three, Yom Kippur. So this is the Day of Atonement. This, is a, this happens 10 days after the Feast of Trumpets, and it is the, by far, holiest day of the Jewish calendar. So let's set this up for you. Um, let's let's build the uh, let, let's build the tabernacle. So we've got the holy of holies here, okay? And in the holy of holies sits the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant has a lid on it called the mercy seat. It's made of solid gold. It's the most holy thing in all of the tabernacle, okay? And it's also the only thing that's made of solid gold. And so. Um, and so you got the mercy seat and there's a curtain. And what would happen is that once a year on the day of atonement or Yom Kippur, the high priest would, would ceremonially cleanse themselves and then would go into the Holy of Holies through the curtain that separated it. And he would offer on the mercy seat a blood sacrifice for the sins of the people. And what this did is this marked a very momentous day every year in Jewish the calendar year, because the high priest would serve as an intercessor that stands between the Israelites and a holy God bringing the blood offering. Are we seeing where we're going with this about who does this now? Okay. So he enters into there by himself because you can't go in there because it's a holy place. It would say God's presence would literally come down. It would rest on the mercy seat. And so once a year, if you were paying attention when you were reading about the garbs, when they would make the garbs in uh, in Exodus, and you read about 
about how they would sew things together. I don't know if you noticed, there were bells sewn onto the, the, the garb of the high priest when he would enter into the Holy of Holies. Much like a dog, when you want to know when it's coming down to your room, you he'd put a bell on its collar and right? Well, it would, when the high priest would go in, the bells would all jingle. And if you would hear no jingling, the high priest, there's a good chance he dead because he entered in to the presence of a holy God in an unclean state. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And so the high priest would enter the holy of holies alone and he would make atonement for the sins of the nation. Remember, it's a shadow. It always points to something bigger. And it points to Jesus. But here's the difference between what Jesus has done versus what the high priest does. Jesus has made a way for all of his people to enter together into the Holy of Holies. You know why? Because when Jesus said, it is finished, and he breathed his last, that big curtain, it tore in half from top to bottom. separate or signifying that the separation between God and man is, is paid for. It's done. One of my favorite passages is Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know why you and I, if you're a believer this morning, why we can enter confidently into the throne room of God today? It's because Jesus paid the way. He paved the way. And the reality is that those who reject the forgiveness of Christ, they will stand before the judgment seat. The difference between them and those who have placed their faith in Jesus is they will stand before the judgment seat with no covering of atonement for their sins. This points to judgment. Oh, points to judgment day. I got here, Lord. I'm sorry. So it points to judgment day, which leads us to our last festival. Let's read um, verse 33. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying on the 15th day of the seventh month. So we're still in the seventh month. And for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation and you shall not do any, do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and you shall not do any ordinary work. And then flip over. I didn't read this first service because I, I forgot about it, but keep reading over, and we're going to look in verse 40. And you shall take on the first day of the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days, and you shall celebrate it as a feast of the Lord for seven days in the year. So here's what's going on. This is called the Feast of Tabernacles, or in Hebrew, it's called Sukkot. Sukkot. Let's all say Sukkot on three. One, two, three. Sukkot. All right. See, you guys are learning Hebrew really, really well. Um, so here's what happens. Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, happens five days after the Day of Atonement. Okay, so five days after the high priest goes in and offers up the, the blood offering on the mercy seat, okay, the, what they're called to do is for seven days, they're called to pitch basically temporary tents outside the walls of Jerusalem. And this is what it does. It reminds Israel of the 40 years that their ancestors wandered in the wilderness. Okay, so imagine you have a week that is spent in a flimsy shelter 
And it reminds you that the people were never resting in the promised land where their permanent home was supposed to be. They were wanderers. They were nomads. Remember, everything points to something bigger. So what does this do? It points to the temporary nature of the body that you and I currently reside in. So I don't know about you, I'm getting older and my knees creak a little bit more and I have to go to the chiropractor a little bit more than I used to have to. And I get headaches and I try to go play basketball and it takes me eight days to recover. Not because I don't want to, but because this body is temporary and it's going to get old and it's going to break down and I'm not going to like every moment of it. The good news is that the eternal body that's waiting for me will never break down. Maybe I live in a temporary shelter today, but in eternity, I will live in an eternal one. And so this points us to the new bodies that you and I will receive at Christ's second coming. Let's read about it in 1 Corinthians 15. It says this, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. And then we're going to start comparing, comparing the body that we live in now and the body that's waiting for us. What is sown, otherwise our body right now is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. The Feast of Tabernacles reminds us that this is not our final resting place that there is a heavenly abode waiting for us. And that body will never break because it's eternal. So see, when we look at these feasts, what it does is they serve as witnesses. Remember the word odd? Odd means witness. So this is an appointed time that testifies to an eternal truth. And so these festivals are meant to teach us important truths and to foreshadow Christ and his redemptive work on the cross. Now, the question is this morning, why don't the Jews believe? I mean, they have all access. I mean, they've had access to this longer than we've had access to this. Like, why don't they buy into this? Well, the simple answer is this, is because the Jewish idea of the Savior coming for the first time doesn't look like a suffering Savior that dies a sinner's death on the cross. It's a triumphant warrior who will come as a conquering king and will usher in this messianic age of perfection. And so when Jesus comes back the second time, that's how he will be coming. But the Jews were expecting that the first time. And so there's a flip side to this. If you're here this morning, you're like, well, so we we love to say Jesus is a friend of mine and Jesus is all rainbows and and lollipops and unicorn. He just just loves me. When he comes back back as a victorious king, there is no second chances. There is no second chances. And the Jews are going to recognize when he comes back, there's no second chance. So what do we do with this? Like, what's the application for this? Well, the application is simply, I think there's a couple things that, that, that we, we turn, because I think this could be a game changer for a lot of us, because yes, this is kind of like a seminary class, a crash course in a seminary class, because really each one of these, these festivals really could serve as its own sermon series. It really could. 
So let me give you two things. And there's no room on your notes for practical applications because I was afraid if I did double-sided notes, you would have walked in and just left, okay? Um, I was afraid that you would just never have stayed around because you're like, oh, Joey's going for eight hours today. That'll be fun. Um, so joke's on you. Um, couple of applications. Number one is this. We just celebrated 50 days yesterday of beating God's word. I hope that everyone, you, you've, you're diving in. I know that probably in the neighborhood of 75 to 80% of our church is consistently in God's word. The way that I know that is because 75 to 80% of our church is in, uh, is, is in a community group. And I talk to community group leaders, and I know that a lot of you are doing, are, are doing that. Now, if you're not in a community group, get yourself in a community group, all right? Get yourself in a community Get yourself some accountability. Get yourself in, with some prayer warriors. Get yourself plugged in, okay? But... I know that our church is reading God's word consistently. And many of you, let's just be honest, probably for the first time. And that's okay. That's okay. Our goal as elders is that we would increase our love and devotion for the Lord throughout 2022. And the best way to start is in God's word. So what I want to encourage you, your first practical application is this. What if for the next 50 days, what if you dove a little deeper? Now, this is what I mean. I am sure that reading God's word for many of us consists of, and there's nothing wrong with this because this is how we set it up. You go to our app or you go to version, and you're following through and, and you're reading uh, God's word and then you check box it off, you know, and you're like, ah, oh, you know, the satisfaction of checking things off and having a streak, right? That's, there's nothing more satisfying than that. Um, I have got into the uh, ridiculously satanic game of Wordle. Have you guys played Wordle? Yeah, I got sucked in. Um, don't do it. It was created by Satan and his enemies. And, 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 and it, anyway, it sucks you in. Uh, my streak ended yesterday. And so this morning when I woke up and I, I got the word in five tries, um, I wept a little tear because my streak had to start over. I get it. Streaks are cool. And I, and I want, I want to, if that motivates you, man, you keep doing that. All right. I love it. But there's gotta be a point where we go from just reading God's word because we want to check it off to where we start chewing on God's word and we start processing it. And so I think there's a couple different ways that you can approach reading God's word that will help you in this endeavor if you would do it over the next 50 days. The first one is this. Every morning when I, when I wake up, and I, I sit at the dining room table and I spend time with the Lord, I pray this same prayer, not verbatim, but this something like this. God, uh, may your Holy Spirit be my teacher and my, may I be humble enough to be your student. That's what I pray, okay? And I just say, God, I just want one truth today. Just teach me one truth from your word and may I chew on that kind of like a cow chews on cud. May I just chew on that and ruminate on that all day. So I think a great place to start is that before you read, just pray, Holy Spirit, be my teacher and may I be your student. The second thing that I think would be super helpful for you is this. So I don't know if you guys have noticed, but if you're doing the U version through your, uh, through your community group, there's that talk it over section or whatever. And so for 51 days now, because I did it this morning, I have been posting um, thoughts, not on everything, just on one thought from, from the reading. And what I've been fascinated with is in my own community group is that I have seen the depth of people processing actually grow, and you can tell by the comments. Because when we take time to process and put it down into words, it helps us to really think through, wow. Okay, I didn't see that. Oh, yeah, that's cool. And then what happens is that we could like feed off of each other, 
right? But until we write it down and start processing it, it's hard to do. Now, if you're like, I'm not doing the U version version, that's fine. Get a little journal, write down a couple sentences, right? Just jot it down so that you can process it and then think through that process all day long. Now, here's the reason this is important is that um, any of you like Looney Tunes growing up? Any of you like watching Looney Tunes? I used to love watching Looney Tunes, and then it comes on MeTV on 5.2, and my girls have gotten into watching Looney Tunes at, on Saturday mornings. Man, those are super inappropriate, right? And you're like, wow, this is what I grew up on. I don't know why I'm not like a psycho killer right now, because it's like, whoa. But one of my favorite episodes was, it was, um, it was Bugs Bunny, and he had this, this, this hunk of stone, and he went up with a chisel, and he had a hammer, and he went, and it just, it all fell down. And it was like this, like, you know, Leonardo's David right there. Like, my, I mean, Michelangelo's David is right there, right? That's how a lot of us think that that's how the Word of God should work. Like, I read it, and it should just, like, boom, it works. The Word of God is more like, yes, it's the hammer and chisel, but it's the constant chiseling in our lives over and over and over and over and so the more that we process and think and, and, and just really ponder on the truths that the Lord, the Holy Spirit has, has revealed to us, the more that the chisel is just going to be bump, 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 hammering away. And what happens is that over time, we begin to continue to look more and more like Jesus. But it's hard to do if we just read God's word by saying, boom, checked it, done. Now Joey, who's my community group leader, won't bug me, right? And that's okay. If that's gotten you up to day 51, great. But I would encourage you to go a little deeper because what I just shared today, like if you doing the reading, you would have read Leviticus 23, like right before you came to church this morning. Okay. Because that's what you end on on the reading. And if you're reading that and you go, I didn't get anything like what Joey got. Like I could have guessed on the Passover, but I didn't know this, this, that's okay. That's okay. But what if we begin to start processing? Because it's all there. Like we, we have all the tools that we need. It's just, the time and, it, and, and, and it's putting the effort and, and it's just saying I'm a willing I'm a willing student and so my first challenge for you is this what it, would it look like if you went to the next level of diving deeper into God's word by spending a little extra time exploring and actually processing and thinking through what the text is saying to you okay so that's my first challenge the second challenge is this and this is more like a two and a half month warning and a heads up um, so when I read scripture and I think about how God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow and how he's, he's unchanging, I see that God, he's pretty big on, we need to build in rhythms into our life and we need to have times where we remember what God has done, but also so that we can look forward to what, what's coming. Okay. So we are going to build a big rhythm into our life. Um, the week of Holy week in April. So here's what we're going to do. Um, we are. Uh, this is what I, I, I am imploring every person that calls South Lakes home to do. I want us to set aside the week Sunday to Sunday. So uh, uh, Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday. I want us to set aside that week as, as a holy week to the Lord. Now, I'm not asking you to like take off work and to, you know, not eat the whole week and to sleep in tents. I'm not asking you, you know, I'm not asking you to build bear, bear grills it. Okay, I'm not asking you to do that at all. But here's some things that we're gonna we're gonna do. So the Sunday of um, the uh, Palm Sunday, sorry, um, 
we are going to bring back, we did the Seder meal last year. So the Seder meal is the last meal that Jesus participated in before he went to the cross. We know it is the last supper and we're going to be having that in here again. It's a limited thing just because of seating and everything. So you'll find out information on that, but we're going to kick off Holy Week with the Seder meal. Okay. And if you can come, you can come. That's great. The big thing that we're doing is that instead of just saying, hey, let's just get to Easter weekend so I can wear my pretty suit, wear my white pumps and, you know, and, and bring my Sunday best. And that's great. Wear, wear your white pumps and wear your Sunday best. That's awesome. And I want to bring all my family to it. But leading up to that, what we're going to do is that Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday evening, we're actually setting up a tent outside and we're going to have worship service Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night. And then we'll have our normal service on Sunday morning. And here's the reason. My prayer is this, is that, Lord, let us set aside the week of Holy Week. And may you do a work in my life and a work in the life of those around me. And so if, if I've just read an entire chapter about how the Lord says, do this, do this, do this, remember, 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 remember. Why don't we just set aside a time to remember? And so let me tell you how serious I am. So I'm a soccer coach. Um, not a very good one, but I'm a soccer coach. And I know we do practices on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. Okay? Guess what I'm telling my team? We have no practice on Thursday nights. And they will know why. It's not because coach is lazy. It's because coach is going to be going to a worship service and asking the Lord to prepare our hearts. Hey, team, would you like to come? You're already with me anyway on Thursday nights. Would you like to come? I'm saying that if I give everyone two and a half months and say, what can we do? What would that look like, parents, if we really showed our kids we're going to set aside time? Listen, I get it. It's a school night. I got four kids. Try to one-up me, bro. Seriously, all right? I get it. What a pain. There is nothing worse in the Dean household than bedtime, right? It's like wrestling like alligators. I get it. But I want to teach my kids. Let's set aside this time to be with the Lord. Why? Because God, I want you to move in my heart and I want you to move in the hearts of others. And so I think a perfect time to do that, a natural rhythm is Holy Week for us. So if you want to think of it as, oh, he's talking old school revival, or if you want to see it as just a, I have to go to church more than I normally go in a week, or I don't, I don't care how you, how you see it, however it makes, makes you get your mind around that. I just think it's an important thing. Important enough that I think we set aside a week. Not even a week. I'm asking like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then come to church on Sunday, which most people come to church on Sunday for Easter anyway. Do it. Tell your teams now, hey, kid won't be there on that tournament that weekend. Take a stand. Do it. Why? Because I think the Lord is serious about us taking time to set aside and go, all right, let's remember and let's look forward. I think if we could do these two things, God, over the next 50 days, which, by the way, 50 days will practically get you to Easter, just FYI, I'm going to go deeper in my study, but I'm also going to set aside the week leading up to Easter, and I want to make it holy unto you. And I think if we do those things, listen, I know you're tired of me, but l- let, me, let me say this. If as many of you are reading God's word as I think you are, and I don't think you're blowing smoke, I really do think it is, then an outpouring of reading God's word is action. 
So if there's no action, when we read God's word consistently, there's one of two choices. Number one, you're not regenerate. You're not saved. That's it. Because God's spirit stirs the hearts of his people to action. So that's the first option. Or two, you're blowing smoke and you're not reading. That's it. Those are your two options. You go, that sounds a little harsh. It's, it's just reality. It's just how it is. God's word stirs people to action. So, and so as your pastor, I think I would be really derelict if I didn't cause us to take steps to put into action the things that I think God's word's doing in our heart and that's stirring us up to do things. Okay? It's not legalism. I'm not asking you to be legalistic. I'm just saying, let's remember and let's look forward. God, move in my heart. So, a little different today. I get that. Um, next week, I'm looking forward to it. We're, do, we're doing our first Lord's Supper of the year next year. Or next, ne- next year. Next year, we're doing it. Next year, next, next week, we're doing the Lord's Supper for the first time uh, this year. I'm super excited about that. We're going to be talking about Passover next week. And we're going to be talking about just the, the deep symbolism behind Passover. I'm really excited about that. Um, but today, I'm really excited about what does it look like if 200, 250 people who calls South Lake's home says, all right, I'm going deeper. I'm going deeper. I think it could be game changing. Prove me wrong. Let me pray. Father, I come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, I am not a very smart man. You know that. And my faith pales in comparisons to many in this room. And I, I get that. But Father, I also know that when I read your word, and when I see the effect that your word has in the lives of people, that it stirs us to action. And Father, as we just took some time to learn some Hebrews word, Hebrew words poorly, and as we just see the rhythms that you put into place with your people, not just to remind about the things that you've done in the past, but to point forward to the things that you we're going to do in the future. God, I pray that we would be a people who would build rhythms into our life. That as a dad of four girls, that I would have rhythms built into my family's life where I'm pouring truth into their lives and showing them through my actions What does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to be a difference maker? What does it look like to take a stand? Father, I pray for my church family. I love my church family, Father. I do so much. There's nothing that makes me more proud outside of being a dad than being the pastor of South Lakes Church. But Father, the... the, The reality is this. These people are not mine. They're yours. I didn't die for them. You did. I didn't give them your Holy Spirit. You did. I'm not with them every second of every day, walking with them. You do. So, Father, I pray that you would be with our church, that you would grow our love for you, that you would grow our passion for you, 
and that that would lead to action. Action in our homes, action on our ball teams, action at school, action in our neighborhoods, action in our workplace, action in our church. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I don't have anything to wrestle with this morning. I just have one simple question. Christian, would you be willing between now and Easter, basically, to take it up one notch? Whatever that notch looks like, would you be able to take it up just one more notch and say, all right, I'm going to go a little deeper in my study. I'm going to go a little deeper in my investigation. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about South Lakes Church, go to slchurch.life.